Wow, what a difference a year makes. First of all, I was thinking that, and Pastor Michael just walked out, he has some other obligations with the, some of the other language services, but it was a year ago this weekend that Michael and Linnell joined us, and so we marked their one-year anniversary. They've only got 40 more to go. That's all there is to it. So, if he had been here, I would have said something like, it seemed like a lot longer than a year, but I didn't, you know, since he's gone, it kind of takes the thunder out of that. A year does make a big difference if you just think about all the events that have taken place in the past 12 months just since we celebrated this holiday a year ago. It, the truth is it's staggering. We never know when we wake up in the morning and we either turn on the TV news or you read it on the internet exactly what you're going to find out, what's, uh, what's taken place, what's been the next big incidents. incident. By the way, for those of you who are mindful that we have a young couple who serve in Bangladesh whose parents are a member of this church, and you've been following the news of the uh, latest thing that took place in Bangladesh, please know that we've been able to verify that our couple is safe in um, as much as they are still stateside, having not yet returned to their field of service. However, that attack that took place, I think it was on Friday, was, was quite close to where they live when they are there serving, and they probably would have been there had it not been for the fact that they encountered an unexpected pregnancy which caused them to stay stateside longer than they planned on and here's what we know, the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Can anyone say amen to that? Even while we see radicalized Islamists rendering their acts of terror upon civilization. So you never know what the news is going to be. But let's suppose that sometime this week you turn on the TV news and you heard these three announcements. Number one, good morning, this is Today on NBC. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has just issued this statement. Divine providence, that would be God, has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is therefore the duty of our Christian nation, so says the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. What if you woke up and that was what you heard on NBC? Or, or, or number two, this is Good Morning America, and we have this breaking news Inquiries by our reporters reveal that almost every state legislature has now passed a law requiring all elected officials to take the following oath. I do profess faith in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, His only Son. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be divinely inspired. What if you heard that this week when you turned on Good Morning America? Or, or number three, this is a Fox News alert. Legislation was passed today in Congress to affirm that the Congress of the United States approves of and recommends the Holy Bible for use in public schools. What do you think the response would be to these announcements, especially in the media that we have today? I think there would be more reaction to them than we could even possibly imagine, but here's what I want to tell you. Everything I just told you is historically accurate and factual. It was John Jay, the very first Chief Justice and often called the father of the Supreme Court, one of the primary writers of our Constitution who wrote, listen to me, it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Chief, first Chief Justice. 
It was the state of Delaware, along with most of the others, which required office holders to take an oath affirming their Christian faith before they could even take office. And not only did Congress in 1782 approve the use of the Bible in our schools, they even paid for them with tax dollars. And in 1844, when someone sued to remove them, the Supreme Court ruled this. They said, why should not the Bible and especially the New Testament be read and taught as a divine revelation in the schools? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? That is what our Supreme Court said in 1782. I think it's safe. Yeah, I'm feeling you. I hear you. I think it's safe to say we've come a long way from our roots as Americans. Do you agree with me? Our school systems and colleges and universities have become so secularized and so distanced from Christianity that huge chunks of information about the spiritual roots of our nation are absolutely neglected. And unless you hear it, from Christians, unless it is taught in our Christian schools, unless it is proclaimed from the pulpits of this country, will, where will this current generation hear it? By the way, I want to take advantage of this moment to make something abundantly clear. When Becky and I came on staff here in May of 1978, we had a, a uh, it was called a daycare then, Child Development Center. It was just in its infancy, literally just starting about the time in those few months when we first came. Shortly thereafter was the birthing of, of what we now know as Bethesda Christian School. It started with just kindergarten through second grade, and then it grew through the years. God has blessed us now over 30 years. It's 30-something. Vicki tells me I lose track of how many years it's been, and I know she's right. 35 years, 34 years, something like that, that we have had a sco- the school... And here's what I want to make abundantly clear about Bethesda. I was privileged to be on staff and to be a part of prayer meetings in the room right across this hall over here where men of God passionately prayed our school into existence. I, it, there is a, a unique perspective that I'm able to have on that because I was part of many of those prayer meetings and those discussions about what we were going to do and why we're going to do it. Here's what I want to make abundantly clear. Bethesda is called to have a Christian school. Now, you may go, well, yeah, no. Other options could be available for other people, but not for us. We are called to proclaim the truth of the Word of God. We are called to teach students in an atmosphere with a Christian, an understanding of Christian worldview, Christian principles, and we will uphold and support the Word of God in its authenticity and with the authority of the Word of God. That's what we are called to do here at Bethesda. Can I get any kind of amen to that today? So allow me to give a brief focus to some things, since we have taken such a departure from our roots as Americans. Give me just a minute to, to, to talk about some things that I think are important to note about our roots on a day like this. This is the day to do that. And then I'm going to come to one main point from one small scripture uh, before we close today. Because knowing where you come from is a critical component for knowing who you are today and having an idea of where you are headed for tomorrow. We learn 
from our past. At least we, we should learn from our past. It may be that we learn what not to do. It may be that, that, that we learn what we need to let go of and, and to not carry with us going forward. That's true even in our, not only in our personal lives, but, but, but as a church, even in the Pentecostal church of which we are a part, there are things that we need to let go of that were, that were not necessarily biblical but were part of our Christian culture that are not part of today and do not need to be a part of, of tomorrow. However, that does not say that we will ever compromise, as I just said about our school, on the things that are given to us in the Word of God. But our past tells us a lot about where we need to be today and where we, we need to go. That's why we need to look at it carefully. We may also need to be reminded of how we were established to be sure we've not strayed from that which God has called us to be. So let's be reminded of some of the components that were right some of the things that we did right in the establishment of our nation. The first thing right about our country is this. There's a, I'm going to give you three. America was settled by people looking for religious freedom. Let's be clear about that. America was settled by people looking for religious freedom. Other nations, for the most part, came into existence by conquest for selfish and ambitious motives. But it was primarily in the atmosphere of God, not gold, that America was born. In fact, in the early colonies, the first public building that was erected was a church house. And the first public exercise was worship of the Almighty God. And when sorrow came, they gathered at the church to be comforted and to, and to appeal to God for help in the early colonies. When bountiful harvest filled their barns, they gathered at the church for thanksgiving to God. In 1643, as more and more people arrived on these shores, they joined together to form the New England Confederation. They wrote a constitution, the first constitution written in the New World, and it began with these words. This is the beginning of it. Whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same end and end aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. That's how we started the Constitution back then. These are our spiritual forefathers who came to the shores of America so that they could worship and could practice their faith without fear of persecution. So the first thing we got right was that our early settlers came for religious freedom. Second thing, our founders had a strong desire to be pleasing to God and to do His will. A strong desire to be pleasing to God and to do His will. Now, let's be clear as we remember that roughly 100 years passed from the time of the earliest settlers to the actual beginning of our nation, and not everything that happened in that period of time is something that, that we are proud of. Because you see, as time passed, the original settlers with their motives for being here, they died off. And many of their descendants were more concerned with increasing their wealth and, and their comfortable living than being faithful to God and His Word, Selah. And as wave after wave of immigrants arrived, many of them came for other reasons and with entirely different motives than those earliest settlers. And so the spiritual atmosphere of our country at that time deteriorated rapidly. Churches were dying, and many of them had once, sought, had once sought religious freedom for themselves, were now being intolerant of others. 
And it was during this time that some went into very strange spiritual directions. That's when you had the Salem witch trials and such as that. The end result of it all was that by 1730, only about 10% of the people in the colonies attended church at all. That which had begun for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith had almost disappeared from our land in those 150 years. But something amazing happened. And I want to declare today that I still believe, as the choir has sung for years, that something happens when you mention the name of Jesus. And lest you fall into the category of hopelessness and despair, if not utter fright about the condition of our nation today and our world, let me remind you, dear friend, that the Word of God is still true, and it will not return void. And the psalmist gives us this encouragement in Psalm 33 when he says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. Oh, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From His dwelling place, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Oh, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in, in His holy name. Church, look up. We have a God in heaven who has His eye upon us today. Day. There is no need to fear. God has always had a people, and He always will have a people, and I plan to be in that number. How about you? And here's what we know is true. When God has a people, then you can be assured that something has been placed within them that will rise up and not surrender to the plan of the enemy. At the beginning of 1734, after this season of spiritual drought that I just spoke of in our country, here's what happened. A handful of preachers, men like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, Gilbert Tennant, John Wesley, and others, they began to preach the un uncompromising gospel in churches and in the streets and in the fields. And these meetings soon, soon turned into great crusades and revivals that spread throughout the 13 colonies. So many people came to Christ that that era became known as the Great Awakening. Tens of thousands dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized, declaring their faith in Christ. By the way, if you've not been baptized, do it next Sunday. We're going to have an incredible baptismal service. And during this season, it was Benjamin Franklin who wrote, Oh, it was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about religion, it seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that one could not even walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. Can you imagine walking down your street today and wafting from the homes that you walk by, you hear somebody singing about Jesus. Hear someone singing songs and psalms of hope. So we need to remember 
America was settled by people looking for religious freedom. We need to remember that our founders had a strong desire to be pleasing to God and to His will. And here's the third thing we have going right for us in this country, that is this. America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule over men and nations. Were they perfect? No. And they weren't all devout Christians. We know that from studying history. But they all acknowledged that God was the supreme rule over man and nations. And how do I know that? Well, you're familiar with the prologue to the Declaration of Independence, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the, of the governed. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, we want a form of government whose job it is to protect what the Creator has given to each of us. That's the government we want. Then, after listing a series of charges against the actions of the King of England, they make two more references to God. They say, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, Congress assembled, listen to this, appealing to the supreme judge of the world, they were all declaring that God is the supreme judge of the world. And then they end the declaration with these words, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, anybody confused about who that is, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. At the signing of the Declaration of Independence, it was Samuel Adams, often called the father of the revolution, who declared, we have this day restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. For he reigns in heaven, and from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, his name is to be praised. Does anybody have an idea what the tallest uh, building, the tallest statue is in Washington, D.C.? Which monument it is? It's the Washington Monument. As I understand it, nothing can be built in the city of Washington taller than the, than the Washington Monument. Does anybody happen to know what is inscribed on the top of the highest point of Washington, D.C.? Here, let me tell you, it's these words written in Latin and then interpreted, let God be praised. In our nation's capital, congressmen may not know it, senators, representatives may not know it. We may have presidents who, don't, who, don't, have had, who have not known it, but on the top of, that, of the Washington Monument, it says, let God be praised. And I want you to put your hands together in this house right now and let's say, let God be praised in Washington as well as this country, the whole of this country. So young people today, please, please remember the roots from which you come in this country we call America, because these solid roots are so foreign to that which we see in our governmental leaders today. Number one, America was settled by people looking for religious freedom. Number two, our founders had a strong desire to please God and to do His will. Number three, America was founded by men and women who acknowledged God's supreme rule 
over men and nations. So, what's the admonition of a pastor of a church in 2016 where our nation looks very different to the foundations upon which it was built? Where's the word of encouragement? Where are the words of hope in an election year that is strange, to say the least? There is one church and only one viable place to which any pastor can turn his congregation today. In an hour and a day such as we live, there is only one thing that a pastor can call for, and that is this, call the people to pray. Call the people to pray. Pray for protection and safety. Pray for our leaders to turn to God, to desire to please Him and to do His will. And pray that they will acknowledge God's supreme rule over men and nations. Now, obviously, the Scripture that comes into focus for us on this day is that incredibly well-known verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You could quote it with me, which says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn. Hallelujah indeed. Our only hope, Bethesda, please hear me from my heart today. Our only hope in this country is to be a people of prayer. And it was just last week that Pastor Michael admonished us to learn to become honest, really honest in our praying. No pretense, no facade, just real people, real problems, real concerns, praying to a very real God. But there is a little something before we go today, if you'll stay with me for just a few more minutes and I'll wrap this up. But I want us to understand about prayer that comes from one very small but very important verse. I've got bad news for you today, and I've got good news for you when it comes to this matter of prayer. Let me just ask this. How many of you in the last 24 to 48 hours have prayed? Raise your hand. It could be over a meal. It could be before you went down the tallest slide at Wet n Wild. I don't know. You may have been in a car with someone driving that you needed prayer for. Okay, so you prayed. Here's the bad news, and you're not going to like me for telling you this. You didn't do it right. In fact, you know, let me just give it to you really straight. You don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Now, don't get mad at me. But let me show you exactly what Romans 8.26 says. Romans 8.26 in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, bad news, as we should. So once again, how many, how many people prayed in the last 24, 48 hours? You didn't even do it right no matter how powerfully you sounded when you did it. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's good news, church. It means this, the bad news. You don't know how to pray. Good news. The Holy Ghost does. Hallelujah. 
Now, you know, maybe you started praying as a child, as many of us did, and your prayers went something like this. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but I ask you for a puppy. <laughs> or maybe it was, dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There's only four in our family, and I just can't do it. And there was little Robert who prayed like this. He says, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. I hate him. (laughs) And little Sammy prays, Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get older, only with some hair on my head and not so bald. This little boy named Neil prayed. He says, Dear God, I went to my first wedding this past Saturday. And they kissed right in church. Is that okay? (laughs) And then Lucy prays, Dear God, please take care of my daddy, my mommy, my dog, and me. And Oh, please take care of yourself, God, because if anything happens to you, we're all in a big mess. (laughs) The Bible says we don't know how to pray. That's pretty clear. And it's important for us to realize the bad news first so that we can really appreciate the good news. And you know what? When Paul gives us this in Romans, he's including him, the apostle Paul, hello, is including himself because he says, we don't know how to pray as we should. Even if you use your best King James language, it's still not right. Has anyone ever heard someone pray in King James language? Like growing up in church, you know, I assumed if you really knew what you were, you were doing if you prayed in King James. I, I thought you, you were really, you know, you had all the these and the vows and the knoweth and loveth and, and all of that, you know. I, I found this, I think it's great. It's in the biography of one of the great English preachers, Charles Spurgeon, you've heard of, that he had a school for young preachers in London. It was like a school of ministry such as, such as we have here. And for their training of the students, he would allow them to pray in the service before he preached. And, and he sent up one of his young students to the pulpit to pray while Spurgeon was waiting with Bible in hand, ready to come and take the pulpit and preach. And it became apparent that this young student, this young man, rather than wanting to get a hold of God, he really wanted to impress Spurgeon. So he goes off in his best King James and started praying, God, we loveth thou. We pray that you wouldest come. And we thank thee for thy many fount of blessings. And apparently he went on and on like this for about 13 minutes in his best King James. And finally Spurgeon stepped up behind him and put his hand on the boy's shoulder. How many know that's not a good sign when that happened? Put his hand on his shoulder and he simply said, son, he's your father. Call him that and just tell him what you want. Now let me say, I want to also say quickly there's a flip side to that. I've heard some people so casual and flippant in their approach to God in prayer that you wonder if they truly know who they're talking to, the sovereign God of the universe, by their lack of reverence. So let me just say this, let there be balance. Let there be balance. The bad news is this, church, we don't know how to pray, but the good news is this, the Holy Spirit does. The truth is, even on a day like this, when we have such great focus on our country, we don't even really know how to pray for our country, but the Holy Spirit does. Because the Spirit, according to what we just read in Scripture, intercedes for us. And oh, I love this. He knows how to fix our words when we pray. How many are thankful for that today? The Holy Ghost is the great 
fixer. And let me tell you how I know that. I, I probably told you this before. I've had people, first of all, every time I'm scheduled to stand before you and speak, I pray, Lord, between my, the weakness of my lips, my inability to communicate effectively, between my lips and their ears, would you please, O Holy Spirit, do your work? And I'm so thankful that he does, but I've had people walk up to me and, and, and say, you know, Pastor Dan, when you were preaching the other day and you said thus and so, and I'm going, I did? I didn't know I said that. And they go on and on and on, and, and they heard something, you know. And what I finally realized, and, and, it, and sometimes they go, that was really, really good. Yeah, I probably did say that. <laughs> and then it dawns on me, you know what happened? My helper. My paraclete, the one who walks alongside me, the one who knows how to fix the weakness of these lips, who knows how to take something I might say from the weakness of these lips, and before it even hits your ears, he knows how to fix it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Prayer is a gift from God to us, church, and it's the most effective tool we can possibly have to see lives changed, to see people healed, to see true transformation, and even to see a nation turn back to God. But the tool can only be effective when we understand that it is energized, it is directed, it is guided by the Holy Spirit that dwells within so we can be thankful that not only is the Holy Spirit within us, but He is with us, but He is also within us to help us pray. And oh, I love this. When Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit in John 14, he gave us the ability to pray because Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And you know what? That helper will be with you forever. Some versions say it this way. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Church, that's good news today. The bad news you don't know how to pray. I don't either. The good news is the Holy Spirit does. And here's more good news. Not only does the Holy Spirit know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He is with you forever. And it's at a time like this when we so desperately need to pray for our country. We should be more thankful than ever that we have the Holy Spirit living within us to help us pray. Can I get any kind of witness to that this morning? I'm not going to ask this by show of hands because I'm scared of what I'd find out. But if you've ever been in court and you had to have an attorney to get you through that process, then you understand a little bit of how the Holy Spirit, our parakaleo, is able to help you. You stood there before the judge and you didn't say a word. In fact, your job standing there was to keep completely quiet because if you had done the talking, you would have messed the whole thing up. Probably. I would have. That's why you needed somebody who knew how to talk to the judge to stand next to you and your job was simply to keep your mouth shut. Because your attorney knew the language, he knew exactly what was to be said and you simply need to let the one who knew how to talk do the talking for you. Guess what? Church, we have a parakaleo, a paraclete. He is, it's used for someone, that word is used for someone standing alongside and pleading someone else's cause. And the day you received the Holy Spirit was the day he stepped up and said, all right, let me speak for you now because I know the righteous judge. Yes, we are called to pray. We must never cease praying. 
But thank God for the Holy Spirit who is able to step up and say, uh-uh, that's, that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. They may have said this, Father, but, please, but let me tell you what, what he meant when he prayed that. And here's Elijah saying, I'm done with the ministry in 1 Kings 18. Just kill me, God. I'm done with this. And the Holy Spirit said, uh, no, no, no. He, he doesn't mean that, Father. He said death, but he meant cake. What he needs is a cake. And the Holy Spirit sends an angel to bake him an angel food cake and send him on his way. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is a prayer editor, and everybody in this house ought to be thankful for that today. He takes your messed up words. He takes my messed up words and fixes them. The bad news is you don't know how to pray. The good news is he does. The bad news is you're human and you're frail. The good news is Jesus gave you a helper that shall be with you forever. And thank God he doesn't answer every prayer that we pray. I love her. I want to marry her. The Holy Spirit, uh uh uh, no, no, no. He doesn't mean that. He's just lonely. And she was just the first one to say yes to him to a date in years. You go before the Lord, I need a husband. Uh uh, no, 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 no. Holy Spirit says no. That's not what she means, Father. She just needs to fall more in love with you. She thinks a man's going to fix her everything and her problem. She doesn't need a husband. She just needs more of Jesus. You might pray, I need more, I need more money. Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh Don't give them more money. They just need to learn how to tithe and be good stewards of what you've already given them, Father. You might have even prayed, I wouldn't care, I wouldn't care if he died. Holy Spirit says, they don't mean that, God. They just need to learn how to forgive. Just let's, let's, let's teach them. Let's teach him to love that person. They're saying death, but they don't mean that, God. Church, hear me today. The bad news is we don't know how to pray. The good news is we have the Holy Spirit within us who does, knows exactly what needs to be said. So what does this do? i tell you what it does for me. And I'll tell you what it should do for you. It gives you confidence to come boldly before the throne of grace and to make your petition known as you have been given permission to do. Why? Because you don't have to worry about messing this prayer up. You don't have to worry about that. Simply because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you who's going to advocate and he's going to fix anything that you messed up with your prayer before a holy God. He is your helper. He is your helper. Church, today, he is our helper, and he's going to fix it for us. Would somebody say hallelujah? hallelujah? Oh, come on, say hallelujah. Bless the name of Jesus. I want you to stand with me as the prayer team comes quickly and takes their place. We're going to draw this to a close, and here's what I want us to do. You may be here today specifically for the purposes of praying for your country. That may be the burden on your heart after hearing the testimony we've heard today. After whatever has happened, it could be that you are burdened for our country. As we begin to sing in just a moment, I want you to step out and let someone pray with you. 
And I know, I know, I know because I've talked to many of you that there are people in the house today who've come with a specific personal need for healing or for relational issues or for provision or for a job. I know that. And so what we're going to do today is someone is going to pray with you, anoint you with oil, and pray the prayer of faith. And as we sing, I want you to step out quickly. Please don't delay. Come quickly. These are fine folks here who want to help you pray and believe with you that God's going to meet your need. And guess what? The Holy Spirit who's within us, the Holy Spirit who is here today is going to take your words, is going to take their words and present it before the Father. He's going to be your advocate today. He's the one, your parakaleo, the one who walks alongside you who's going to be your helper today. Come on, let's sing it. Please come quickly as we sing.